What's up, coaches? Probably about a fourth of the way through your guys' season. Hopefully, everything is going great for you guys. Uh, if you need anything from us, go to uh, runthepower.com. We've got a bunch of videos up. We've got all of our podcasts. We've even got some articles. We've got uh, everything that you should need from us up on our website, runthepower.com. If you guys need to reach us, uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, or you can email us, coach at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Huddle. This time of the year is when spare time is a pipe dream. I was JV games and varsity games and junior high games. But what if it didn't have to be? What if you could take those hours you spend adding data to your game and scout films and use them to focus on all the other important elements that make your program go? Huddle Assist can save you these hours of time every week. Send your game and scout film to Huddle Analysis, and in 12 to 24 hours, you'll have 16 columns of data plus advanced reports. And not just the basics like down and distance, but more time-intensive data like offensive formation, efficiency, and backfield. You'll have the opportunity and the spare time for a more in-depth analysis, which will lead to a better preparation for the week ahead and a better game plan overall. Did we mention every subscription level comes with unlimited breakdowns? You'll have more scouting data on your upcoming opponents than ever before, without lifting a finger. Submit up to three videos per day for the rest of your season. Add Huddle Assist to your subscription today at huddle.com slash RTP Assist. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Vices. Vices football helmets are different than any other helmets on the market. Their design reduces impact forces by yielding in a collision similar to a car bumper. A concept so unique, the helmet was named one of Time Magazine's top 25 inventions of 2017. The Zero One is the top helmet at every level of football. Nearly every NFL team has starters in the 0-1, including both the Super Bowl MVP and the overall league MVP last season. Over 140 college teams, 1,500 high school programs, and hundreds of middle schools and youth teams have made the switch to the Vices 0-1 and 0-1 youth helmets. Protect your athletes with the top performing helmets in the game. For more information about Vices technology or to request team pricing or financing options, visit Vices.com on the web, which is V-I-C-I-S dot com on the web. Vices, protect the athlete, elevate the game. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product uh, months ago, and we have to say that it's been a game changer for us. We especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes. Uh, obviously, as you guys know, power, counter, but inside zone, pin and pull, um, you know, and, and inside zone lock and seal. Um, so we can save time and be more productive with our teams and with our in-season uh, work schedule. Just Play is limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. This offer has been extended um, all the way till now. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder is again offering coaches a free in-season football strength program. As you may recall, uh, like we've talked about in other episodes, the New England Patriots squat up to 90% of their one rep max deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning philosophy is just to maintain, then we think we have something better for you. You can get the program once you start a 14-day free trial with Team Builder. Just reach out and tell them that you heard it from Rowdy in the RTP podcast. Or use the code RTP when you sign up for your free trial at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. On today's episode of RTP, we talk with Anthony White. Coach White is a longtime head coach in Southern California. Listen as we talk with Coach White about his coaching philosophy and how he built some tremendous teams and young men during his tenure. You can follow Coach White on Twitter at Coach A. White. Hope you guys enjoy. Awesome. Hello. How you doing? My name is Anthony White. Everybody calls me Coach White from Southern California. Went to Rosemead High School. Graduated in 1999 uh, from Rosemead High School. Played running back and safety. Uh, received a football scholarship to the University of Utah. Um, played there for five years. 
Uh, my senior year was actually uh, Urban Meyer was the head coach. Uh, we had a, a plethora of, of coaches at that time. Kyle Whittingham, who's the current head coach, was the defensive coordinator. Dan Mullen, who's the Florida head coach, was the offensive coordinator. Billy Gonzalez, who's a, a receivers coach in SEC, uh, was a receivers coach. I mean, we got tons of guys. Uh, after that, went back to my alma mater, Rosemead High School, started coaching some freshman football. My brother was on the team at the time and uh, really just fell in love with teaching and coaching um, and then started moving up the ranks. I went to another school to be a, a varsity assistant as a defensive back, then went to the junior college route uh, to be a special teams coordinator and safeties coach, went back to my alma mater again my brother's senior year uh, to be a assistant head coach and to be uh, offensive uh, analysis and co-offensive coordinator, then a defensive coordinator, and then uh, finally became a head coach in 2009 at Temple City High School in Southern California, and uh, had a winning record there. Everything was great, but I was commuting 45 minutes to work back and forth. Uh, then a job opened up at Buena Park High School in 2010, and I applied for that, and my mom was really upset because I was only a head coach for one year at the previous school, she didn't want me to build the rep of uh, jumping around. But, you know, that seven minutes from my house, I applied. And I was so excited when I got the job because the school district was phenomenal and the benefits were great. And everything was seven minutes from my house. And then I realized that they only won six games in eight years combined. And uh, <laughs> a lot of work ahead of me. No and, doubt. Um, we, had, we had a great seven-year run there. And I uh, took a break after the birth of my daughter, Olivia Grace. In 2016, where we finished the season league champs, um, won 60 games, a little bit over 60 games in those seven years. Started my first year. They, haven't, they won eight games in, uh, you know, eight years combined before. We started off that first season 6-0 and and, you know, just kind of flipped the world around and the community got riled up and everything was incredible. And we've just been building ever since all the way until 2016. Well, Coach, that's obviously a, a daunting task. Like you said, you find out they win whatever it was, eight games, I think you said, in six years. Um, and yes, and now you take that program over, and then you did end up, uh, obviously, as you say, flipping it into a, a winning program. But uh, when the, that first day you get there, or that first year that you get there and, and decide, all right, we've got to flip this culture from, from a, a very losing culture, I would, I would assume, if it's only uh, that, that few of games in that many years, to – uh, into a winning team. What are those first few things that you're looking to, that you were looking to do uh, once you took over, so you could flip that narrative? I think uh, one of the, the the main things that coaches have to realize, especially young coaches, young assistants, is that I wanted to be a head coach so bad. It really didn't matter where or when or how or anything like that. I was always after the title, and then once I got the title. Then I started focusing on, well, okay, I have the title. I'm a head coach of a program. Now, how long do I want to be a head coach? Because then you start looking at your career. Are you a teacher? Do you, uh, do you coach any other sports? Do you do those things? So once I had the title at Temple City High School in 2009, then I started looking at my career and teaching and, you know, salary and benefits and all that stuff for my own family. Because remember, I was 27 years old when I got my first head coaching job. I, you know coming from college and, you know, in five years, you're automatically a head coach. I started reflecting and doing those things, looking at the commute, looking at the time spent. And Buena Park just seemed like such a great thing for me personally with, with me and my wife who, who, were, who was married. Uh, we got married in 2008. So we were newlyweds and all those things. And when I got to Buena Park, uh, to be honest with you, the team and the program had no sense of winning in any, in any different sports. Um, they, they didn't win in any other sports either. So just the morale on campus was down. Everything was kind of, um, we're just trying our best. We're hoping we do good. We wish we do good. Those kind of things. I showed up the first day. They haven't had a coach in six months. The, we had 14 kids on the roster on, you know, uh, throughout all levels. And they were in, they've been in the supervision of the girls volleyball coach who was timing them in the mile every week. As long as you improved your mile time every Friday, you got credit for the week. So going in, the type of mentality I wanted to um, make sure I instill in these student athletes is one of discipline, one of accountability, and one of not wishing or not hoping, but working to win. 
And those are the three important things that I wanted to instill. Coach, what were some things maybe you took? I mean, I, I haven't talked to anybody yet. Maybe a, a few people that, you know, maybe it had worked with a guy like Urban Meyer, but talk a little bit about kind of his program and maybe some things that you were able to kind of pull, you know, especially early on in your coaching career. Cause obviously, you know, working for a guy like that, you know, laser focus, you know, unbelievable attention to detail, I think. And then, you know, every place he's been, man, they, they've won. So I'm wondering what, what things did you kind of glean from Coach Meyer? Exactly. I think one of the most important things that a lot of people uh, realize when I, when I, you know, tell them my, my coaching journey is that I was an RA at the University of Utah my freshman year, true freshman year in the dorms. Three months out of graduating high school at 17, I was an RA. There was a situation I stepped in, I, I did great at that. And then my senior year, I was student body vice president of the entire University of Utah. So I was student body vice president. I was a senior captain. I was on the leadership committee. So me and Coach Meyer had a special relationship where I would talk to him about things and he would instill in me some things that didn't always have to do with football. When it talked about the culture of the campus, when it talked about uh, relating to the fans and relating to uh, personnel and parents and recruiting and those kind of things. Because if he wanted to have a great recruiting trip, it wasn't just like, hey, take them out. It was, uh, you know, our gymnastics team's ranked number two in the country. Let's do this. I'll have the band here. I can do those special things because I was student body vice president at the time. So his attention to detail, number one, is incredible. I mean, all the way down from how your shoes are tied, what type of socks you wear, to what your uniform looks like, to how much you strain in your face when you're conditioning. He would monitor all that, and it's not something he has to really work hard to do. He can just look at you and tell. That was special, something that I had to learn how to do, and I'm still learning how to do. The second thing I learned from him is brutal honesty. There's a, in this day and age, there's a lot of student athletes, a lot of parents um, that have nice guy coaches, that have nice guy people in their life, and a student athlete will graduate high school, student athlete will graduate college, a student athlete will go season to season, or parents will go season to season, not really knowing why they haven't taken the next step or gotten to the next level or aren't receiving the offers that they really want. Coach Meyer is all about brutal honesty, 100%, um, making sure that you know why you're not doing what you think you're supposed to be doing and how to get there. So I think that's what I took from him. Coach, so, so kind of jumping back to uh, you take over this program. Uh, you, you've had some, obviously, some uh, unbelievable role models. I think some people would uh, pay a lot of money to, to have some of those guys uh, uh, through their life as they're, as they're growing through college. But uh, now you take over a new program, like you said, that had no winning culture and, and really nothing uh, it sounds like to, to lean on even on any other sports. Uh, which is is difficult at times too. At least some high schools, like you said, maybe they're good at uh, basketball, but they're not good at football. Well, at least they have that winning culture. Uh, it was nowhere. Yeah, sure. So, uh, is that something that you know you just try to bring in the best staff that you possibly can? Is that something that you try to get those guys uh, winning as many little things as they can? What what's your process or what was your thought process and I'm I'm sure it changed a little bit as you went but what was, the, what was your thought process going in there saying okay how are we going to flip this culture we need to what, what am I going to do as a head coach to, to change this exactly um, one of the first moves that I made and I realized you know they, there wasn't really a winning culture is uh, I went to the new I went online and I started looking for coaches that you know, people would put a wanted ad. We want coaches. We need this position. We need that position. I started looking for coaches that were assist. Because remember, I'm 27 at the time, 28 years old, and I'm looking for someone young and hungry. You, you try to hire an older coach. Sometimes they look at this young guy. Who's this young kid that thinks he can run a program? I had great confidence in myself, but at the time, I know I needed other mentors just like myself and the principal at the time that was getting hired. So I went out and I got a coach who was a co-head coach, one CIF uh, just the previous year, but for some reason or another, they wanted a single head coach. So they chose one and let the other go. So I called the one they let go, Coach Lynch. Called him and said, you know what? I'm not just trying to change this program. I'm trying to change lives. You know, we got kids that are homeless. We got kids that are, um, their grades are bad. Uh, they've been on probation. They've never won. 
they never won more than two games in, in their entire career or for a season for that uh, matter. And thank God he agreed to join me on my staff. So really we started our spring and, and, and summer practices with just three coaches. And we started with the mentality that we, this school has lost with, with you already in the past. We want to show you what it's like to win. I remember this coach just won CIF. He's young, just like me. We're hungry. We're dedicated. We're there 24-7. And we just wanted coaches with some accountability. We were hiring coaches that I didn't care if they knew anything about football. Only thing I cared about, do you love kids? Do you love people? Are you a hard worker? Will you show up and be accountable every day? Mm-hmm. That was the first thing with the coaches. And that trickled down to the players. I think that's such a huge point. I mean, again, you know, you're, you're going into a place where, hey, man, we're, we're going to have to to set some new standards. You know, one or two wins isn't going to get it done, and we're not going to accept, you know, not not to say failure, but we're not going to accept losing. We're not going to accept, you know, not giving our best effort. And it's impossible to do that when you have a coaching staff that doesn't show up. So I think, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, if there was only three dudes that you could find, what a great way to start. And knowing that all three of those guys were going to be on the same page, we were going to show up every single day, and we're going to love those dudes up and coach those dudes up. Exactly. We wanted guys to buy in. And then we started turning at practice and lifting in academics in the classroom. Everything was a competition to us, whether it be how long you can hold the 25-pound or 45-pound plate in front of you, who can clean up the weight room fastest, uh, who could clean up the bags on the field fastest, who could get lined up, which lines were best. I mean, all those things we started incorporating into our daily routine to create winning. I winning love, uh, yes, I love all the, all the little things, man, that, that'll show kids to be winners. You know, it's, um, we've at, at my high school for the longest time, and it's where I grew up and now I coach, uh, we, we never won a state championship. One of the biggest high schools in, in the state, never won a state championship. We're always very average, always got beat by uh, the two rivals. And, and um Man, it's such a hard thing to shake, I think. The, the uh, you know, if you're not used to winning and your family's not used to winning, I, I, that's been one of the biggest things around here. Now, we finally got it done this year, but um, awesome for so long, you know, 100 and some years, it's like if you're a kid at our high school, your dad lost uh, to the, the <laughs> rivals, never won. His dad lost and his dad probably lost too. And so when you lose, it's not even almost that big of a deal. And, and uh, man, it's just a tough, tough thing to shape. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Coach, so, so then you obviously, uh, you know, you said you've been on, you were on both sides of the ball, and, and you, hire, you hire two guys. Were they your offense and defensive coordinator respectively, or how'd you guys, uh, how did you guys go through it with three coaches? Because uh, we, had, uh, we, had, we had a few coaches on, I think it was uh, Dub. And Dub talked about kind of the same thing. Hey, if I can't, if I can't hire, you know, whatever, eight awesome coaches, I'm going to stick with the three awesome ones I have, try to build on that, and, and we'll just kind of separate it with, it with the guys that I have that I know and that I trust. Yeah, so it started off um, with three guys in spring and the beginning of summer. We started just hiring good people. I didn't care about coaches. And, it, it, you know, that kind of trickled down to the players. I stopped coaching the player, and I started coaching the person. Just like I stopped hiring football coaches, and I started hiring good men. And they learned as well as I learned, and we went to conferences, we read books, we watched DVDs, we did everything we can and everything we could for the student athletes. And those type of guys, I mean, we're still friends today, and one's an assistant principal, another one moved out of state, and we still talk on a weekly basis because that was – the most special time in all of our lives is when we started um, empowering these young men to do these great things. And the thing that made it special is all, all this hard work we did all throughout spring and all throughout summer. When we won the first game, people started taking a second look like, oh, well, well, just one game and, you know, maybe it's chance. When you win two and three and four in a row and you're winning, you know, 40 to zero, 50 to 10 or stuff like that, people are wondering what's happening. We didn't get any transfers in. We didn't have anything. We were just super accountable for what our jobs were. And, and that's what was special about it. Everyone cared. We, we won games because we loved each other, not just because coach told us to block this certain guy or run this route. 
Yeah, that's some of the stuff you find out, I think, too, the longer you're, you're in it. I mean, I think when you're a young coach, you're, you're probably hopping into some of the, the X's and O's and, and strategy and things like that because you know you want to be competent. But as you, you get further and further into this, I mean, you're just like, man, if, if I can just get kids to play really hard and if I could get kids to believe in me and, and I can get kids that know, know that I have their best interests at heart, you know, and I could kind of win those kids over, those, ki- those kids are going to push themselves to, to the next limit. And all of a sudden, you know, now they, they turn into a group of them and they start leading each other. And literally, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm just there to kind of, you know, police the, the standards that we set. You know, and, and I say we, exactly. but, you know, it's, it's, it's not something I know that, that Coach White dictates or Coach Harper dictates or Coach Walls dictates. It becomes something that's like, hey, man, do you guys believe in something like this? Yeah, we believe in it, Coach. Like, all right, I'm going to hold you to that standard. But when you guys are doing things right, I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader there is. And I'm, I'm going to be there yes. just to, to make sure that there's no one that's stepping out of line. And, and when you guys are, are balling, I'm going to let you guys go. And then at the same time, we'll find a couple of things there to, hey, maybe take that to the next level. But I, I, I find myself now, it's like I, I spend, you know, 5% of my time studying scheme stuff. And it's 95% of, you know, how can I get this kid to go do this? How can I get this kid to go to class? How can I get this kid to, you know, to, to work a little bit harder on this? So, I mean, I think, I think you're speaking the language and the juice and so many people, I think, you know, want, want the quick fix. Like, Oh, this, these guys average this many yards and these many points when, when really it's, it's right underneath their noses. If you'll just get some people into that believe in kids and, and make kids exactly. better than they really are. Guess what happens? Holy cow. They start doing a lot better. That's exactly right. You know, I was a defensive coordinator and I was a special teams coordinator. So I ran that side and coach Lynch and the first offensive coordinator uh, ran the offense. So we would always compete, but I mean, just implementing little things like we, uh, we used to have a team draft at the beginning of every spring. So like in February, right after the season, we give them January to get back into shape a little bit. Then we max in January at the end of January, the first week of February, we used to have a draft. And we pick, you know, say 10 to 12 captains. We have, you know, three sophomores, uh, four juniors, and four seniors, something like that, or five seniors. And the rules of the draft was that you are accountable for everyone that you draft in your line, because we, we were the Coyotes, so we call them Coyote Packs. Everyone you draft in your pack, you are responsible for. Here's the rule, though. You cannot draft anyone older than you. So we didn't want, you know, a sophomore to draft a senior and, the sophomore tries to hold the uh, senior accountable and the senior tries to get tough because he's a senior, mm-hmm. but you couldn't draft anyone older than you. The best thing we would always see is that in February, that the best athletes aren't always the ones that get drafted first. It's the ones that are the most accountable, the ones that love the team, the one with the best grades, the ones you can count on are the ones that get drafted first. Because if we had a fundraiser or we had practice, if someone missed practice, the whole line would get have to do something. They would have to clean the weight room after because someone in their line was missing or whoever uh, was wearing the wrong socks. We only wore white socks. So if somebody wore black socks, the whole line is there. And then once we started doing that, they started policing each other, just like you said. And then we would have another draft when we got into the summer, midway through the summer for the season. And we would have another draft. And then you would start to see the dynamic of the program, not just the team, the program, because we always did everything with our JV and varsity together to build that culture and, and our family. Yes, I love the, the idea of being able to have a draft do like, like you're talking about, Coach, because it, it, like you said, it makes those kids uh, accountable for everyone in there. And I'm sure it was very telling for you guys. It, um, was there ever some kids that and don't obviously be specific with names, but was there ever some times that kind of really shocked you with, with how far some of your kids dropped or uh, were you pretty, pretty uh, spot on, not spot on, but pretty, you kind of knew where everyone was going to go. You know, um, the team would vote on the captain uh, anonymously. So that's how we would pick the first 12. And then, uh, you know, I would always tell the team, you, you guys have 49% say. And they look at each other like, 49%? Whoa, man, we have all the say. But <laughs> obviously the coaches the coach said, we have 51. So we can choose, you know? So um, we would already see by that, by who was getting, who was re- respected and who was that. But when you start putting in the things that don't matter as much on the field, like fundraising, 
accountability to class, uh, their grades and their GPA, accountability outside of school, you know, things you're doing on the weekends, those type of things. The kids, even though they, nobody wants to be snitching on each other, they know what's going on outside of school, outside of practice, outside of the classroom. And by the way they dropped, we can tell of who the coaches need to put an extra arm around to make sure. Because then we would have each assistant coach would be responsible for their line. Hmm. So if the, our, our varsity quarterback, um, the varsity quarterback's coach would be in charge of his line. The only pe- two people that didn't have a line that they were in charge of is myself as a head coach, defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, and the offensive coordinator. Because we got to be, be able to go against go to all different lines and be um, be fair to everyone. Sure. But every assistant coach had a line. And I wouldn't go to them. If they had a problem, they had to go to the, the line leader first. And if the line leader couldn't solve it with, the, with their pack, they had to go to that assistant coach first. And if there was an offensive problem, they would go to the OC. And if it was a defensive problem, they'd come to me. So there was always a, a line of succession and, and uh, things you had to do to get problem solved. And I think it worked fantastic. Coach, when you talk about like your, your competition and, and like you said, with the, the accountability, what, what were some of like the, the rewards and then maybe, maybe punishments that you had? I mean, whatever you want to call. I mean, what did the winners get and what did the quote losers get uh, during some of your guys? Yeah, competitions? That, that's really good. So uh, we, I instituted, um, uh, we call it team makeup. So we, Buena Park High School is a Title I school in California, which means that we're low income, over 80%, even 90% at our school is on free and reduced lunch. Uh, I said before, uh, we had some kids that were homeless. I mean, we had four kids in our entire program of 130, four kids that drove cars, and maybe one had a license. You know what I mean? So we didn't have a lot of people that had a lot of different things. But with that, And with teenagers nowadays, you get a lot of excuses. So if anyone ever missed a practice or anyone ever missed a lifting, we would have what's called team makeup. We would have a weightlifting paper. And if they were absent that day for practice or for lifting, we'd write the date on there. Student athletes would have to go back on a makeup day or stay after practice for an hour and do extra conditioning, be in charge of the cleaning up come on a day where we had the day off and do those type of things. It's called the makeup day. You have to make up your absences and it's not a punishment. Some people have valid excuses. I have a dentist appointment. I have a doctor's appointment. I have to go to court. I have to do this. That's fine. It's not a punishment. It's a makeup day to show your team what you would have done if you could have been here. And we would do those type of things. And that's a team makeup, but we didn't label it a, a punishment. It was a makeup to show the team that you care and you're willing to make up what you missed. So that's one aspect. Um, another aspect would be academically. I created what's called the um, academic boot camp. We, Buena uh, Park High School won a Golden Bell Award in uh, 2000, uh, 2012 after I started in 2010, where if you had one, one F or two Ds, you automatically had to do five hours of study hall tutoring time, just like you would in college. And we would, the principal was, was incredible. So he opened up a tutoring center for, for teachers and for all students, but you would have to get your hours signed off. The other thing with that uh, academic boot camp is that every Saturday morning, you would have to meet me in my classroom at school on campus during the season as well at 6 a.m. And you would be for me from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And I would go through every one of your classes or you would finish any makeup assignments or do anything you have to do. Now, the kids don't have a problem waking up at 6 o'clock on a Saturday to come in my class because we wake up and we were supposed to be at school at 6.45, 6.30 anyway. The ones who have the problem with it are the parents. They don't want to wake up at 6 o'clock. So I had more parents telling the student athlete, you need to get your grades up. I can't be driving at Saturday morning at 6 o'clock. Rather than you need to get your grades up just to get your grades up. You see <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. The, the more amount of the more amount of student athletes and the more amount of people I can have around the student athlete telling them to do the right thing, the better for our program. So those are two types of things. When it came to um, uh, some benefits, obviously we get a lot more days off because the guys that were there every day, lifting every day, showing up to practice every day, they can have an extra Friday or an extra Monday off 
in the summer. You know what I mean? Those three-day weekends are incredible in the summer. The guys that were missing, they needed that extra work. So even if we were planning to give the program the day off, I would make a young assistant coach or myself, we would rotate and say, oh, we'll just have a makeup day. So whoever needs to make it up. Oh, we have a fundraiser. Uh, we have a fireworks stand. I want, I need 10 student athletes to hold the bags while they get the fireworks for the fireworks stand. Make that every hour they work or every two hours they work, they get a makeup day for that. Those type of things, people saw our players everywhere. What they didn't know throughout the community is that they were actually making up stuff that they, they missed earlier. But it builds a sense of community. It builds that sense of their players care about the program. And uh, it kept them around the coaching staff longer. Coach, I love the idea of the school boot camp um, and, and helping those kids out. Is that something when they come to your classroom, uh, are, are there teachers emailing you what those kids are missing? Are those kids bringing in, were they, were they bringing in their own stuff showing you? How, how did you kind of uh, stay on top of or, or keep track of uh, logistically uh, what they needed to, to finish up to raise that grade for them in class? Yep. So academically, I think uh, something I would do every year, one of the most important things a head coach can do at your high school is that you need to talk to the staff in an open setting and say, look, I'm here for you. I'm the football coach, and I'm here to build the best student athletes this school can. And I am here for you. A lot of coaches try to hide from other teachers because they don't want to hear the nagging or there's so-and-so teacher that hates football players, and we've all heard it growing up throughout the time. Buena Park High School, the teachers were so supportive that I said, if you email me once, I promise you will never email me about that again. And we would get on them. I mean, to the fact where I had coaches that worked the night shift, I'd say, coach, can you come in early today? And I would have that coach sit in on the class with the student athlete. If a student athlete got in trouble in class, every football player, every student athlete that had that class during that class with that student athlete would also be in trouble the same way. So again, you go back to them policing each other and policing their packs. If uh, little Johnny gets in trouble in math class, first thing I would say is, who else has that class with you? And I'd bring them all in because it's, you're, you're, that little Johnny's a reflection of our program. He's a reflection of me as a parent and as a coach and as a teacher as well. And he's a reflection of, of them and his own parents. So um, we brought that factor into it. So we would look up uh, online what assignments they were missing, uh, teacher communication, all those type of things, we would bring it in. I had a book from every single class on campus in my room uh, for those Saturday mornings, because remember, it's still dark most of the year. So we're going in there and, and we were getting that work done. Coach, I love it. I mean, there's so many different leverage points you've talked about. I mean, you know, like be it the, the parents having to drive and, and get kids, you know, the time of day and then, you know, be, becoming the ally of the staff. I, I think that, I mean, yeah. I, I wanted to tweet that out right now. I mean, I'm just sitting there thinking like, man, what a great idea to, you know, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm, I'm the head football coach. I, you know, you're going to get emails from teachers anyway. I mean, you know, I was, yeah, I was exactly. assistant coach, you know, and, and you teach science and things like that. And, and they were, you were getting all kinds of athletes that would be said, they're like, Hey, do you know so-and-so? But I mean, it, you know, knowing that you're going to get those emails, being proactive about it, and saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm here's here's our policy." You know, I'm 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 not one of these coaches that isn't big on, you know, you know, just passing kids or whatever. I want kids to do really, really well, and and that's our policy, and we want to work with you guys. I think, you know, that that builds that bridge between you and maybe you know the the music teacher or, you know, some 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 other you know other teachers that are maybe having problems with with football players, but knowing that hey, we're, we're not going to stand for that stuff either. You know, and, and exactly. we're going to work with you guys to, to help our kids get better. I think that, God, that's a powerful thing. Exactly. I remember at this time, you think about it and you're like, man, that's a lot of rules. That's a lot of things. What if your best player doesn't follow it? And I would say, well, what was the record last year? They, they won one game. So if he doesn't follow <laughs> it, what happens? We lose another game? I mean, we didn't have anything to lose. You see what I'm saying? And yeah. the only thing we had to gain was everything. I mean, and I'm just starting out. Remember, I'm 27, 28 years old, drawing this stuff up, creating a plan. The same thing Kyle Whittingham, the same thing Urban Meyer had, holding these student athletes accountable. What would we do if we were on scholarship at Utah? What would we do with this student athlete? Those type of things. And again, we had great assistance. Um, we had, you know, Coach Lynch for a while. And then my last three years, I think our total record was like uh, 34 and five or something like that so 
it changed over the course of those seven years to, you know, winning the first uh, six games and going 6-0 and to our last year where, you know, we, we only, we'd only lose one or two games a year, win the league championship, we'd sign seven players, D1, those type of things, um, and sending players to college. Coach what, <clears throat> Coach, what was your plan to get all these kids to – practices two weights and two class at at uh you know six six forty five is pretty early but uh with you know like you said sometimes only having three or four kids with a car total uh were there some different or some special things that you needed to do uh or set up to where you could get all these kids uh to be able to make it to all these things that they need to get to on time and and when they need to be there yeah, so we started lifting at, you know, 6.30, 6.45, and we changed it between 6.30, 6.45, between in-season and spring. And when they would line up for lifting, they would have to line up in their line, in their coyote path. So we would have 10 to 12 lines across. They would go. We'd, we'd see who was absent. If someone showed up late, their whole line had to do something. If someone didn't show up at all, that person would have the makeup, so, but they wouldn't get the absence. So you think if you're a student athlete and it's 545 and you're like, oh, I'm tired, I, I want to make it up. Now, the makeups are terrible. I'm talking like 250 tire flips and burpees, something worse than practice. <laughs> so you got to think at 545 a.m., do I want to do 200 tire flips or, and burpees or do I want to just show up? Hopefully they show up. Then if it's 6 o'clock, do they say, do I want to be late and make my whole line, my whole coyote pack mad at me? Or do I want to be there on time? I want to be there on time. So those are the type of things that we make the student athlete make that decision, number one. Number two is that a great selling point that we would make to student athletes in our community and for our school is that we start lifting at, let's say, 645. They get out of practice no later than 545. So from 645 to 545, you are going to have coaches and teachers and a school that loves and care about, cares about your son. I'm not talking about we're going to make him the best football player because if he gets hurt, I want the parent to know I'm going to love your son just the same. Don't think I'm not, you're not, I'm not going to talk to little Johnny anymore if, God forbid, something happens to him. I'm, I'm here for, for Johnny. I'm here for little Johnny. That's why I'm coaching. I got into coaching not to win games. I could win games at Madden on my PS4. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help student-athletes. I'm here to help young men be great men and great husbands and great fathers. I'm here to do that. Great parents and even good parents want someone to push their sons to be great also. They want someone to push their son. If you have a coach and the coach is letting the kids slide and doing that thing, I don't want those coaches around my son. Because guess what? I'm the parent. He's in high school for four years. I'm going to pay the price as the parent after high school if someone keeps letting them slide you know what i mean and during high school dude that that great dad or great father they've probably been coaching their son all the way through them and you know pop warner and t-ball and stuff like that it's their time to kind of take a step back anyway someone else needs to be the bad guy to yell at them and that's no problem for me i'll take that responsibility and that's exactly what it is it's a huge responsibility for those student athletes and for that community Remember, when I took this job at Buena Park High School, I lived in Buena Park. It's every coach's dream to be the head coach of your community school. So I would see these parents, I would see these kids at the grocery store, and everyone still calls me Coach White. They still say, yes, sir, no, sir, because that's what we wanted. We told them when we had that teacher meeting at the beginning of the year, our student athletes, our football players are supposed to refer to you as yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. If they don't, Say the number is 25. And for seven years, if any teacher heard a football player, student athlete, say, yeah, they would say 25. And that student athlete would do 25 push-ups on the ground, in front of them, in class, in the hallway, anywhere. And the other student athletes would hold them accountable. And that's what happened for seven years. That's what, that's what was expected. Man, I love it. This is, a, this is some good stuff, Coach, man. I'm, I'm enjoying uh, every second of it because I think, you know, like you said, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, from, from so many reasons, and especially when you, you know, you're speaking at it from the, the view of, of a parent. I mean, who, who doesn't want to have a kid who's learning some of those, those responsibility 
uh, responsibilities and some of those executive skills. I mean, you, you talk to business leaders and people in the workforce all the time. They're like, man, that's why we love to, to be able to, to hire athletes because they, they've had to do these things. They've had to wake up early. They've had to work hard. They, they've had to learn how to hopefully, you know, be respectful and, and be accountable to somebody. So I think, you know, even the, the, even the kids that left our program, I mean, I know th those were still kids that you take care of. And it's like you said, I mean, hey, it, it wasn't, it wasn't going to work out. You know, you, you weren't going to be able to make it. You weren't going to make that full commitment. But I still saw that kid in school, and I was still going to hold him to a, another standard of, hey, man, you still got to be a, a good man someday. And I think that's exactly that stuff would still go a long ways. And even though that kid would never score a touchdown or, or make a tackle for us, it didn't matter. You know, he was still part of, of whatever football program I, it was. He just wasn't making plays on Friday nights. Exactly. And a couple things to that is that, you know, that student athlete that might not ever play, he might, the only thing he probably does is he's the right guard on kickoff return. But I will, the attention to detail, remember we talked about that earlier, the attention to detail, you need to be the best right guard on kickoff return in the league, in the division. If that's all you do, how much can you care about that? How much film do you watch just on that one guy that you have to block? Did you go inside the house, outside the house? What's your leverage? How do you know? We had student athletes that just cared about that. And when our program got uh, so good and they were building towards that, it, it's all about caring. You know, it's about giving. And uh, the student athletes cared about that so much that they understood what their job was and what it entailed. You know, and they had the responsibility to each other. I mean, I – we went from Buena Park High School not signing anyone D1 for 15 years before I got there. We, I have two players in the NFL right now, and we have over 10 at Division One, two, and three uh, colleges uh, that are going to graduate this next year, next two years. So those are the type of things that we're building. We used to tell them, if you give us four years, we're going to give you 40 years of life lessons. Just give us four years, we're going to give you 40. We promise. That's a good deal. All you had to do was stay in the program, whether you played or not, and, and they would get that. Coach, you've talked a, a bunch of times now about how important it was to have those assistant coaches that were great men, and that's what you were looking for when you're hiring was first, you know, what, what are they as a man or, uh, you know, as a person? What were some of the ways that you, you figured that out in the hiring process with a certain coach? I mean, uh, what, what are the interview questions like? What do you – I mean, because I think probably everyone's sitting here saying, yeah, that'd be great, and there's probably – uh, uh, thousands of people that have tried that and then they find out, oh, I made the wrong hire, uh, you know, within yep. months or years. So what were some of the things that you did to, to try to get, you know, try to find out who are these men that I want to hire? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the biggest, biggest things that I would do when I would hire coaches is sometimes I wouldn't even talk about football. I wouldn't even talk about X's and O's and what they knew because that didn't even matter to me because we already knew what our system was. We have to coach you how to run our system anyway. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. my biggest questions are, um, what's your goals, aspirations for your employment? Are you, oh, you just graduated college? That's great. What do you want to be when you grow up? The same things we would ask the kids if they were younger coaches. Oh, you want to be a teacher? Oh, great. What program are you going to go in? How far do you live from here? Uh, do you work out? Do you do stuff like that? Do you, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Are your parents going to come to the game if they were younger coaches? If there were other coaches, how many kids do you have? Do your kids play sports? Do you go to their practices? Because we want to find good people. Some people go in, oh, I got this coach. He knows every offense and every defense, and he knows this, he knows that. Yeah, but is he a good guy? Can, a, can one of your players go to him and ask him for advice about the girlfriend that just broke up with them? Those are the type of things that our teenagers are dealing with. They don't care about a cover three. They don't care about a cover two. They care about that when the game's going. They need someone, a shoulder to cry on because nowadays if something gets out on social media, then their whole life's over. You know how it is. So we, I wanted men that have been through some life experiences that were great fathers to their children, like uh, James Gulimana, like James Melton, uh, Judo Oliva, those type of uh, staff members that we had that are incredible people, incredible teachers. Even if they weren't teachers, whatever job they had, they were incredible at it. I had a, um, a coach who had to leave for a year because he had to go to Afghanistan. He got deployed to Afghanistan. While he was there, he got two service medals. You, don't, you should have seen the video we made 
to celebrate the service medals because it showed how much, how hard he worked, no matter where he was. He was working just as hard as if he was with us. We spread out throughout the whole nation, throughout the world, and that's what the kids felt. This little school in Buena Park, we, we can do anything, anywhere, as long as we keep that same tradition and that same accountability up, and we care. Yeah, I love it. I love the, you know, the, the questions, too, like in the interviews, and you've said it before, but I mean, you know, are you going to be here every day? I mean, I, I just yeah. think that, that that gets so overlooked, and, I, and you know, and, and I hate to say it, but, you know, so, sometimes, you know, guys will, will, will come in and they'll, they'll have some of those, you know, and, and I call them excuses, but I mean, it's, it just seems like every week it's like, hey, I'm busy. Hey, I, I got I to gotta do this, right? <laughs> You know, my, my family yeah. wants me to do this and I got to do that. And it's like, bro, I, I can use all those exact same excuses. <laughs> you know, yep. I, I'm busy. I got, I got stuff to do. I got a family. My wife would love to see me more. And it, but we signed up for something, man. We got a hundred kids sitting here for us to number one, be there. You know, all those conversations mm -hmm. are great over text, but they'd love to see my face and they'd love to talk to me. So, I mean, <laughs> dude, can I count on you to be there every single day? <laughs> Exactly. And you need that coach. And, you know, something, someone like me who's, you know, a little bit OCD, where I look at every single aspect of our program to what they're wearing, to how they act, to how they talk, to what they're doing. Um, I believe I'm always going to get what I inspect, not what I expect. You know what I mean? So I was always on top of everything. And even though it was it's exhausting and it was a good cop, bad cop, and sometimes I had to play the bad cop, sometimes I had to play the good cop. But just having those presents there. I mean, we have a lot of single, um, uh, single family homes. Our student athletes come from single family homes. So that male presence and sometimes female presence uh, was incredible for them to have a man be there for them every single day and be accountable to them and to do those things. That's why it's important. I mean, I'm not saying I got, you know, went to the liquor store and got some coaches or something. These are guys that love football. They just love kids and they just love helping and they just love, um, being a part of a family more than they love calling plays or calling coverages. Coach, how big is it out, you know, in, in, you know, California with, you know, with so many schools and it's so competitive and, and there's, there's so many different levels, uh, you know, of school out there. I mean, how, how important is it to kind of find that niche, you know, to, to, Hey, what are we going to hang our hat on? Because there are maybe so many options and I know, you know, kids are in the transfer age, there's private schools, you know, the, the great athletes are in Buena Park and maybe they're being asked to go to, you know, one of the Catholic schools out there. I mean, how, how big was it for you to kind of find that niche and, you know, Hey, let, let's build something cool enough to where our kid, our, our local kids want to stay home. No, definitely. I think all school districts are fighting for that now trying to be a destination school. Obviously uh, people that know the system and how that works, the more students you have, the more money you have, the more um, your district is able to grow and those type of things. Winning was never on the forefront for us. We knew that would be a product of everything else that we did. So from the courses that we offered, the caring and supportive staff, the incredible assistance, uh, to all the different levels of accountability that we held our student athletes to, those type of things is what attracted the parents and attracted the families to move to Buena Park and to bring their student athletes. I mean, if you went and visited a coach, Let's put it in perspective, because I went to the University of Utah, guys, so I'm a little biased, okay? But University of Utah has one of the highest graduation rates, and it's top two, I believe, in the last three years of sending players to the NFL. However, you have a place like Oregon, who has the best uniforms, sponsored by Nike, all these great things. And Oregon has been very successful, too. We didn't want to be an Oregon. We didn't want to show off the flashy stuff. I mean, we had really nice stuff, and that would be a – a very important things, but that wasn't about us. What we promised him is that even if he doesn't get a scholarship, he can go to college. He's going to say yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to every adult that he meets from now on. He's going to show up on time to work. He's going to show up on time to class. He's going to do those type of things. That's we, we are more of a blue-collar mentality. And later on, if he's a white-collar, he's going to understand to be the manager of that um, type of blue-collar. You see what I'm saying? So we wanted to build – uh, managers and CEOs, we weren't talking about, oh, you're going to get a new helmet or new cleats every year. Um, those are the type of things we hung our hats on. 
Coach, and, and obviously, uh, you know, it, it is about being, um, you know, a great person, like you said, as a coach. Um, and then you said you could kind of teach them, the coaches that you brought in, uh, already what your program was um, football-wise. So what were some of your cornerstones uh, on the football field uh, that you were coaching these new coaches up uh, and, and teaching them your system? What, what was your football system? Yeah, so uh, we grew up, like I said, uh, our neighborhood is, you know, Title I, uh, low economic, things like that. So the type of defensive characteristics that we had is that we had some good athletes. So um, we ran a base man coverage, four-man front, and we would be um, extremely aggressive. I'm saying almost blitzing every single play. Um, because we were able to do that, it cut the learning curve from having to learn zone and learning passing through and saying in and in or out, out, out and trying to read routes and read those things. We just ran man for the first like two seasons just so we can teach them uh, just to do their job. We, we instilled in them that their attitude and their effort, things that they can control because coaches control conditioning and discipline, at, uh, student athletes control attitude and effort, that if they rushed as hard and covered as hard as they could, then we would be successful. And that proved to be true on offense we had to keep it fairly simple because remember we're getting kids that maybe out of the entire new freshman class maybe three of them to three to five played football before tackle football so uh in the beginning we kept it very simple and we started to branch out to where by the end in 2016 we were running spread formation zones and screens and zone reads and all kinds of things we would do we could do almost anything we wanted on offense or defense but our special teams were always successful. Um, our fake punt, we'd fake maybe 15 to 20 punts a year. I know it sounds crazy, but we would. And <laughs> that we would does. Be, <laughs> Love yeah, it. Yeah, 75%, 75% successful because our ideology is um, our punt team was so important because those are the real, you know, guardians of what we're trying to do. And this is something for Bourbon Meyer. So what we would do on pregame meal on Friday afternoon is our punt team would eat first on our pregame meal because we would say, you guys are the most important things because there's some studies that show if a punt gets blocked in a game, you have a 90% chance of losing that game. So we would hype up our punt team like they were the most important guys. And they really were. They were our most dependable guys that would do their job. And when we practice, when we do conditioning, we, we didn't even call it punting. We called it speed. So it would be third down. And while the defense is looking to see if we're going to go for it or not go for it, we'd call speed. The five offensive linemen and the quarterback would run off, and we'd have our punt team speed, and we'd say, red, red, set, and they'd snap it in two seconds. If the defense was taking its time interchanging players, if we would catch them off guard, um, unbalanced or something like that, then we would fake it, and that's how we would, we would get that done. Because remember, in punts, we're, we're hoping that the other team is putting those must-play kids in where, oh, little Johnny's dad donates $2,000. Let's get him in on, on punt return. <laughs> exactly. You know, let's get our guys some rest. On our side, we're saying if your job is the right tackle on punt and that's all you do, that's the most important job of your life. Like, that's all you do. I'm going to ask you who your guy is. I'm going to ask you how you kick slide. I'm going to ask you all those things. So the way we approach special teams, even from the spring, was different, and that's how we, we'd have you know, all those fake punts and kick, punt returns and kickoff returns. Um, and those guys are returning for UCLA and Cal and all those schools now is we would build our special teams around that. And remember, I'm the head coach. I'm in charge of defense and special teams. So they know I'm, you know, going to be really hard on it. I'm gonna say, I was going to say that's got to be an awesome thing for, for the program to have your, your head guy be so bought into special teams because um, oh, I've always thought for whatever reason that is just a, a very, very difficult thing is to get certain kids bought into it. Now, if that's a culture and that's the thing that you always do, it's not very hard. And, and I think it comes, uh, it almost seems easy, but uh, if it's just your special teams coordinator and he doesn't have a bunch of buy-in from the head coach, it can be a real pain uh, to try to get that those guys to, like you said, love to be the right guard on punt. Exactly. And, and to be honest with you, I, that was instilled in me when I was at Utah. Some people, you're probably going to Google my name. How many uh, 10 tackle games did he have at Utah? I'm going to tell you right now, zero. 
but the way on the field for someone like me who's, you know, 5'10", 200 pounds from Rosemead High School, the second person all time to ever go D1 and from my high school, being on special teams is what got me on the field. That's what got me to be a four-year letter winner at the University of Utah. That's what got me to play in every single game for four years. I played in every single game. I know starters that didn't play in every single game. But I played in every single game because of special teams. And then I got defense. And then I got those special teams. That's how I became a captain. Is You know, I think that if I'm looking for a coach and I'm looking for someone, I want the backup senior, the guy that used to be a backup senior. Because that guy, if you're going to be a backup and you're a senior, man, you got some heart. <laughs> You've been through the, you know, senior year, supposed to yeah. be your time and all those things, even junior. But the backup senior is almost like a coach. You know, when I was a backup senior my senior year, I was coaching this knucklehead safety at the University of Utah, and that kid grew up to be Eric Weddle. <laughs> and Eric Weddle was an incredible freshman when he came in at Utah. And he's probably one of the best defensive players ever to come out of there. But as a true freshman, he, he started. And what am I going to do? I'm working as hard as I can. But I had to use my mind. I had to almost be a coach on, on the sideline, on the field, in the meeting rooms, those type of things to help our program because I loved it so much. That's when I knew I wanted to start coaching. That's when I knew I wanted to start doing it. I'm around all these great coaches. Defensive line coaches, Gary Anderson, head coach at Utah State now. I mean, how many head coaches are on that staff? My senior, Derek Mason, was a wide receivers coach at Utah my sophomore year. He's the head coach at Vanderbilt right now. I mean, there's so many great people that I was just around um, throughout my college career. They, I, I stole something from everyone, and that was the best part of it. Yeah, I think that you make some some great points there, especially about you know the the importance of special teams and winning. I mean, you, you think about all you know state championship teams and and great teams across the country. I think in high school, I mean, and and when I, I watch a ton of games, and literally all of them have unbelievable special teams. And I think exactly. you know it, it comes from it comes from the head coach making it a priority. I mean, and 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 you've said so many so many wonderful things that come out of, of putting an emphasis on special teams. I mean, it is an unselfish attitude. You know, you're going to have probably not the glamorous job. It's going to be a dirty job. You know, even the guy that snaps. Nobody knows who the snapper is until he makes a bad snap. You know, no one knows who the right guard is on punt until he misses a block. So, I mean, and then the the other the rest of the time it's like, oh, hey, cool, you guys did your job and we got the punt off. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, get, getting the entire team to buy into those things and buy into those principles, special teams is a great vehicle to get that done. And I think where a lot of, you know, coaches run into problems, you know, and you just give specific examples. Maybe the head coach, you know, coaches the offensive line. So he's never around the special teams. He's doing Indy with exactly. the line. Or maybe the head coach, you know, is, is coaching the QBs. So he's, he's worried more about the passing game, you know, rather than the special teams. I think you see a, a little bit of drop-off there because the head coach isn't there. You know, the, the best head coaches I've seen, heck, I've seen them run the scout team on special teams. And, and we yep. always had f- phenomenal special teams. So I think it, it's a, a, a super valid point. Yeah, we would tell our we would I would tell my student athletes and my coaches I would tell them um, special having a great special team is the difference between having a great team and being a great program. Great teams can be great for one year and then that team's gone, but having a great program means you have great special teams because it's it's through everybody and then. Just like you said, those championship teams, it's not a championship team, it's a championship program now, right? Because they have great special teams. That's how you could tell the difference. Absolutely, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, Coach, we're kind of rolling up on an hour now, and and the thing that I always uh, like to end with is is the same question, but uh, it's always, uh, you know, fun for me to, to hear the answers from different coaches. But when you're watching another team's offensive line, What's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Oh, man. I like to see um, them jogging to the line after the huddle or back after plays. I like to see if they help their skill players up or help each other up. I like to see them finish blocks. And I like, I like, a li- I like nasty O-linemen. You know what I mean? I, I tell my players, I said, don't be dirty. I said, I want you nasty. I said, you will eat food. You won't eat food that's dirty. If the food's dirty, you ain't going to eat it. But if it's nasty, you might taste it here and there. <laughs> so I like my, my offensive linemen nasty. I want them to finish blocks. I want them to be mean. 
and I want them to hold the team accountable. The, the, a team or a program will go as far as the offensive line can carry them. And I think we saw that in the Super Bowl. We see it every single year. They are the true heart, the true soul, and really the moral compass of a program is the offensive line. That's what I feel. Heartbeat of the team, man. Couldn't agree more, Coach, man. It's, it's been a blast. I appreciate you coming on. A, a lot of great insight, a lot of, a lot of cool things to listen to, and, and not to mention you know, a, a lot of good ideas for me to, to reflect on and, and hopefully be able to use in our program. And, and I hope things are going well now with your, your little sabbatical and, and taking care of your daughter, man. That sounds awesome. Yes, sir. Anthony White II, Olivia Grace. And uh, my wife, Stan White, I mean, we're just enjoying the time. This will be my third season off, and uh, I'll be looking to get back into it in 2020 so my son could be the ball boy and we could get back into it. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.